This episode is brought to you by Verizon. Get a Verizon Business Unlimited plan from the network businesses rely on. Hey, Monica, with 5G Ultra Wideband in many more cities, you get up to 10 times the speed at no extra cost. Hello, downloads in no time. Plus, unlimited premium data and hotspot data to keep the signal flowing and your teams going. Come in or book an appointment with a Verizon business expert to find the right plan for your team. 5G Ultra Wideband available in over 1,700 cities with Business Unlimited Pro 2.0 smartphone plan. Speed comparison is to median Verizon 4G LTE speeds. Download speeds may vary depending upon network and coverage conditions and content optimization for 5G Ultra Wideband. Jeep Freedom Days are here, where right now, well-qualified returning FCA lessees get a low-mileage lease on the 2022 Grand Cherokee WK Laredo E4x4 for $369 a month for 36 months with $3,799 due at signing. Tax title license extra. No security deposit required. Call 1-888-925-JEEP for details. Requires dealer contribution at least across their capital. Lessee is responsible for termination fees. Current lease must end by 7-3-23. Extra charge for miles over 30000 Residency restrictions apply. Take delivery by 7-5-22. Jeep is a registered trademark. everyone welcome back to the benzinga cannabis hour i'm patrick lane and this is javier casa here glad to be here again thank you for joining i love the peace sign i love when you do the peace (laughs) sign that's one of my favorites i took it from steve d'angelo who will be a guest in in an upcoming show on september 24th when we will be discussing social justice so when steve talks i listen and um, for everyone staying on from from our pre-market prep after the close thank you for staying on do stay on we have an amazing show today um personally one of my favorites it's one of these topics i'm passionate about so patrick tell them what we are doing today you guys this is a cool show and javier thank you you helped put this one together and um, and the kind of thematic elements that we're going to be discussing in each of these cannabis hours moving forward, I think is a really, really great way to do this. But today, it's the cannabis ETFs, right? That's what, we're, that's what we're launching in with you guys. We're talking about, and we're going through three of the top ETFs. This is insane, insane yeah. that we have. Uh, we'll, keep, we'll keep it civil, so I don't want to call it the ETF face-off, but oh, I yeah. don't not want to call it that <laughs> no uh, that's fair i mean no bloodshed just civil barbs here and there that's fine um but but why don't we launch in i mean this is fun uh first up as we get him moved over here is matt markevich from innovation shares um and matt helps run the thcx uh etf so we're excited to get matt over uh and, and let's launch in man i'm excited to get into the nitty gritty here yeah super excited yeah are you with us matt can you hear us there he is i'm here where are you what a great location man not bad huh Up, upstate yeah. new york 
That is awesome. I'm leaving Detroit. I'll be there shortly. It's fine. Um, very cool. So upstate New York, are you, you're normally in Manhattan, in and around. Correct. Yep. Yeah. Okay. So how is it? How is New York these days? Uh, New York City. Uh, I was there two days ago. Um, it's a little, you know, slow compared to normal, but I would say that uh, when school, public schools start on the 21st, it will be probably a lot busier, but there's definitely more traffic on the street. Uh, I would say the two most noticeable aspects that are missing are suits, not many suits walking around Midtown, and uh, a lot of the lunch and restaurant places are kind of closed, uh, mm. you know, they cater to the, the lunch crowd. But, uh, you know, I'd say it, it, different neighborhoods are impacted in different ways. Um, so it feels like it's slowly starting to come back. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Well, listen, I, I know we're all glad to hear that. And I think the last thing anybody wants to hear is that New York City is a ghost town. And I feel like that's it's a lot of what I've been hearing from from folks I know that have lived there and, and have stayed there through COVID. So I'm glad to hear that at least some of that that traffic, that business is coming back. Did um, you see that uh, Jerry Seinfeld, New York Times piece? You know, like New York is not dead. Check it out if you haven't. It's super interesting. Yeah. You don't have to read it, but it's a good read. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, welcome, man. Welcome. This is fun. I. I'd love for you to just take a minute or two, Matt, and introduce the ETF. Tell our investors uh, and, the, and the folks in the industry watching what you guys have going on, and then we'll launch into some specifics here. Cool. Yeah, thanks for having me and, and the other guys on the on the, the show today. Uh, so THCX is the- The other guys, the first Barb. I love this. Let's keep it going. Look what I have. I'm not taking sides, but- uh... <laughs> Looks good, crisp. Uh, so THCX uh, is our cannabis ETF, uh, just named quite simply as the cannabis ETF uh, that we launched on uh, the NYSE last July 9th. Uh, it was its first day of trading. It's a passively managed exchange traded fund that gives investors exposure to the global legal cannabis industry. Uh, it is a passively managed product meaning that it tracks an index and that index is rebalanced once a month. And currently we have 29 companies in the, uh, in the portfolio. And um, uh, yeah, we have, uh, I think around uh, just around 22 million of assets as of today, average daily volume around 37,000 shares. I have two cool. brief questions for follow-ups. One, What's uh, the Nigerians' involvement here? You know, we, we know our friends, uh, the Nigerian brothers are involved. And the other one, because I know Dan will be making a very strong case for actively managed ETFs. What are the benefits of passively managed ETFs? Sure. So first of all, on the uh, Nigerian brothers, they're strategic advisors to the fund. Uh, both John and Pete have uh, been investors in, in cannabis stocks for, for many years. And, um, you know, I don't necessarily know, you know, their, their use of the product, but, but I will say that, uh, you know, as an ex NFL player, uh, Pete especially has gone, uh, has undergone, you know, years of pain, back pain, surgeries and such, and, um, has, has, uh, you know, has been an advocate for, uh, for, for cannabis. Um, again, remember cannabis does include CBD as 
well as THC products. So, you know, not, not necessarily every investor knows that. Uh, but, um, you know, so when we, uh, I, I've known uh, both Pete and John from my, my, my prior uh, place of employment and uh, sort of approached them about getting involved. And uh, they were, they were happy to, you know, to, you know, join and, you know, they're, listen, they're, um, they're just, great traders right i mean their their personalities their traders they're both extremely genuine honest humble human beings which is why I, I i you know love uh you know having them part of the team so uh second part of the question a uh, little less fun shall we say but more relevant is uh an index versus active so i've been in the etf business for 11 years and uh used to work at the largest provider of, of ETFs on the planet. So needless to say, I learned a couple of things there. And one of the things that I learned was most investors, particularly financial advisors and registered investment advisors, don't really love the idea of actively managed ETFs. In certain circumstances, it might be, uh, you know, uh, probably you know, more ideal, but there are strategies that would lend itself to, a, to an actively managed fund. Uh, however, a, a portfolio of stocks uh, that are publicly traded and you're just a long only portfolio, uh, in, in my opinion, is not one of them. So uh, it's a lot of giving investors what they know, Javier, you know, and, and it, it, it comes down to uh, most ETFs are passively managed, meaning they track an index. That's not to say that that's right or wrong. Again, it just depends on the strategy. But again, when we were kind of going through the 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 the, the pre, um, what do you want? I mean, before we even filed the prospectus, sort of text, uh, testing the temperature of investors and mm -hmm. said, hey, like, what would you sort of be most comfortable with? Uh, you know, overwhelmingly, the appetite was for a passively managed product. And uh, again, because it's what they know. They, 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 they feel comfortable with um, the fact that it's, it's rules-based, uh, the fact that they know what's in there every single you know, day, they know when we're gonna be rebalancing the portfolio. So that full transparency, uh, not that actively portfolio, managed portfolios don't offer that, but mm -hmm. you know, our rules-based approach was something that they were a lot more uh, comfortable with primarily because it was you know, more recognized relative to their experience with other ETFs. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Very cool. And so you mentioned you're rebalancing uh, monthly, right? Correct. And that's yeah. different. That's different than a lot of other funds out there that are man uh, rebalancing quarterly. Mm -hmm. uh, why the difference there? So the reason we picked a, a more, uh, let's call it actively styled, uh, you know, <laughs> passive approach is- Wait, wait, wait. Actively styled passive approach. Yeah, That's not oxymoronic. Awesome. Yeah, no, we, we've we've had so a lot of advisors have said this is wait, well you're doing it. Wait, you're rebalancing, but you're doing it once a month. So isn't that like quasi active, quasi passive? Um, you know, and people have come up with all sort of fun terms for it. But at the end it's of the 20, day, labels are no longer important. Man. Exactly. That's yeah. so yeah. true. As far as the SEC is concerned, it's active or it's passive. That's it, right? So Love you kind of have to fit into one of those buckets. <laughs> so because this is the, the cannabis industry is the most volatile industry on the face of this earth, 
quite honestly, the publicly traded stocks. You might have a stock that's up 100% one month and it's down 80% next month, only to rally 40% the month after. We've been there. And that type of volatility is not something that most financial advisors are comfortable exposing their clients uh, to, right? And, and, and at the end of the day, we need to have a product where, that we feel you know, that we're proud of not only the structure uh, and, and the approach and the methodology, but the advisors need to know, hey, if this is a less, this is an extremely volatile industry, and if I can help to dampen some of that volatility, then I'm all in on that, right? And unfortunately, most of the advisors with whom we speak have had an absolutely terrible mm-hmm. experience with cannabis stocks. Uh, a lot of them, uh, quite frankly, are only are handcuffed to buying a handful of, of stocks. Generally, they've been Canadian LPs, right? We all know sort of how that's you know, played out if your timing wasn't good. Uh, mm-hmm. So their clients come to them, hey, I want exposure to cannabis. And then they, they go to their bro- the advisors, go to their broker dealer, I want to buy cannabis stocks. And the broker dealer says, yeah, you have this list of three or four to pick from. Well, why can't I buy this or this? It's just not approved. Well, can I buy an ETF? That's not approved either, right? So then you kind of, you really, you end up getting boxed in and that's, you know, we could talk a little bit more about sort of, you know, some of the overall dynamics of cannabis investing. But, um, you know, again, uh, it, it's just, it's the, the, the approach that I feel most financial advisors are comfortable with buying a diversified portfolio uh, of stocks. Because at, at the end of the day, mm-hmm. not many research, not many investment banks or broker dealers have cannabis uh, research, right? You have a, a handful out there, uh, you know, Bank of America, Stiefel, uh, Piper Jaffrey, Jeffries, uh, Cowan, but, you know, that's you know, dwarfed by the number of analysts that cover IBM or Amazon, for instance. Sure. So there's really an absence of information and it makes it, you know, picking single stocks that much harder for mm-hmm. uh, most financial advisors. Yeah. No, I, the, the other day we were talking, um, prior to the show with one of our guests about how to value companies. And, and many times you use consensus, you know, estimates. And, and the, one of the largest problems is we had no consensus here. It's like, maybe there's one or two estimates. Like, how do you, how do you even, you know, again, there's no average you can, you can pull. And the, the other points you talk, uh, you touched on are volatility. Uh, I think that that hybrid of one month rebalancing kind of the, it sits in the middle between passive and active, as you said. Maybe let's talk a little about about uh, fees, and then do you want to get into dividends? That's an interesting one. Yeah. So the the fund let's is. A, I have a, We have questions for. for oh, okay. Oh, we're not talking about that now. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah. No. That it, it's again. It's it's a it's a it's an approach to to an ETF that advisors are more comfortable with. Right. They're 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 very familiar with a rebalancing and again it might not always be the best approach but that's what they're most comfortable with at the end of the day advisors don't want to lose their company their their, their clients money right and 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 you know of course if you pick the wrong investment that's a different that's a different story you know but if we i think we lost your audio there for a second oh sorry yeah there we go now we got you no, I was just saying how how most advisors, you know, they're 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 in the business of preserving and growing, of course, uh, client wealth. But you really just don't want to be losing, uh, you know, clients' money. And I, I think we're going to get into how 
you know, investors or how advisors are using these, uh, you know, ETFs in, in, in their portfolios. We'll talk a little bit about that. But, um, you know, I, 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 again, it's, it's an approach. You can't all of a sudden come to the market with something that's completely off the wall and it's just harder to tell the story. Um, telling the cannabis story and why you'd want to invest in it is, is tough enough. And putting a, putting these group of stocks in an unfamiliar wrapper uh, or, or or strategy, I think, would be even even tougher. Okay, cool. So so I mean, let's jump right into the dividends, right? I think that's an important question, especially for the investors that are watching. You know, you guys are paying a robust dividend, right? And and you know, you see some of this in the market, you, and you're you're looking at that as compared to some of these cannabis stocks that are are up and down and some of them barely turning a profit. Um, how are you paying that dividend? And, and you know, what's, I, I'd love to get into how you're, how you're balancing the portfolio too, in terms of percentages and who you got in there, but sorry, Javier, go ahead now. And I have the same question, literally. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it's, it's kind of, you know, speaking of an oxymoron, you mentioned that earlier, Javier, um, you know, this is a growth portfolio. Make no mistakes about it. This is a growth industry, right? No pun intended. I mean, th these are, you know, not uh, you know defensive stocks by any means, and and we, we have no um, you know intention to add any you know any defensive tilt to the portfolio. Uh, this is not something that you uh, you know will put 100% of a client's money in, right? You're going to add a little sprinkling uh, of of a cannabis ETF into a client's portfolio to, to maybe provide some alpha over and above uh, a domestic equity ETF exposure. So um, that just want to get that out there, you know, but so, so, you know, you don't expect a dividend from a cannabis ETF, but uh, they've all been paying, you know, uh, to use your word, Patrick, a pretty robust dividend, uh, you know, since their inception of their, of their lives. And that's from a really unique dynamic in that, Cannabis stocks, to no one's surprise, uh, are quite heavily shorted, and there's a there's a massive appetite to short these uh, these names, uh, and that you know tend to be quite volatile. Uh, hedge fund traders and and swing traders are, are drawn to to volatility, of course. And again, as I said, there's probably next to maybe biotech stocks. There's no more volatile industry on the face of this earth than, than you know cannabis stocks. So. In order to short a stock, you need to, to find a, a borrow on that stock from someone who's holding the stock from a, from a long holder. Lo and behold, who, who are some of the largest long holders on the planet? Cannabis ETFs, right? And um, you know we don't have the ability to go short in our portfolios. So we're always gonna be long stocks. So it's a very stable uh, you know, supply of a lot of these names that hedge funds wanna short. And these hedge funds, in order to not only do they have to find a supply, they also have to pay to borrow a stock. And yeah. the, the, rates, the rates that they pay to borrow cannabis stocks, by and large, is uh, much higher than your average S&P 500 stock, let's say, because there's hundreds or tens of millions of an S&P 500 stock that are out there floating around and, you know, Fidelity accounts, uh, you know, BlackRock, the largest asset manager in the world is one of the also largest securities lenders in the world. They always have supply of any stock that you're looking for or bond for that matter, right? They're just, they hold every single instrument, financial security and instrument on the face of the planet. 
for all intents and purposes. So, you know, but they are not big holders of cannabis stocks. Cannabis stocks are fairly concentrated. They're spread out amongst retail investors. And just to put some context on that, right now, only around 9% of publicly traded cannabis market cap is held by U.S. institutional investors. Hmm. So your follow-on question, Patrick, I could see it burning in those eyes. Well, what is what do the U.S. institutions own of the S&P 500? It's about 80%. Yeah. Right? And, and of the Russell 3000, its U.S. institutional uh, ownership is 68%. So this industry has a long way to go before it's uh, you know, quote unquote, adopted by U, you know, U.S. institutional investors, BlackRock, American Century, sure. Waddell and Reed, you know, Invesco, just go down the line, right? So, because of that, there's no backstop to uh, the stocks when they're swinging massively and, and you know, going down. They're, you know, BlackRock's not going to sit there and say, "Hmm, Canopy's down five percent today on no news. Maybe I should buy some more." It doesn't happen. <laughs> Right, yeah. as yeah. opposed to something like Apple or Amazon, yeah, or, largely retail. Yeah, oh, Slack is off fifteen percent on earnings. I think it should have been down maybe five. I'm a buyer here, right? And they go and they they buy stock over the next couple of days, trading at a at a relative value in their opinion. That just doesn't exist. Does not exist in cannabis. So the volatility lends itself to uh, you know a, a host of of short sellers that are very happy to participate in the volatility. Uh, and they're also very happy to pay high rates to borrow the stocks in order to short them. So is it true what that we do is- Are over 100% many times or how inflated is that statement? Yeah, no, no, no. So, so for instance, back in, in May, after cannabis stocks had a nice rebound right after mm-hmm. their, their March lows, um, the rate to borrow stocks like Tilray and Afria was over 100%. Meaning if you bought, you know, shorted Afria at that time, you on, on an annual basis would pay, you know, 100% to borrow stock. Meaning you thought, it, you know, if you held it for a year, it was going to go down 100%. But you never, if you're shorting stock, you know, of course, you never hold it for a year. You know, this is very, but if it's down 20% over the course of three days, right, that, that, that borrow rate uh, on an, um, you know, on a three-day basis is minuscule compared to your 20% return on the short. Mm-hmm. So the funds are are taking revenue from the short sellers, from the borrows, uh, from from the lending, and then we are returning it in the form of a dividend to shareholders. And I know that's a sort of a long question, but it's a very interesting dynamic. It's the securities lending market is fairly opaque in this country, and it's something that. You know, I think even a lot of experts don't necessarily understand, but, um, you know, th- there still is a, a fairly strong desire to, to short cannabis stocks. Mm-hmm. Uh, but let's be honest, you know, just nothing else. What stock looks more attractive to short right now? Tesla up 500% on the year or Aurora down 70%, right? How, mu- how much more juice is there going to be left to squeeze in the Aurora orange at this point, right? You kind of have to, you know, have a really big bet. Right at that point, right. Right. so 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 what we've seen lately is um, we've seen borrow rates actually coming down, uh, which to me, as someone who's a loan only investor, uh, primarily, right, we're not in the right in the business of lending securities. That's not our that's not the strategy. Of course, we want the value of the portfolio to go up, but for me, it's encouraging 
um, from the standpoint that maybe we have found a floor here in a lot of these Canadian names in particular. And uh, you're not seeing much, you know, a ton of desire and, and, and appetite to, to short these stocks. And again, we can see that because the rates have come down from Javier, you know, the aforementioned 100%, right? I mean, as far as I know, there's not one cannabis stock that's even over 50% borrow right now on an annual basis. So uh, again, that's, that, that's very, a very encouraging sign as you know, someone who's running a long only portfolio um, that you know, maybe we have found the bottom here in cannabis stocks. Cool. So I, I have just one more minute with you before we have to transition here, Matt. And I, I would love for you uh, just briefly give us maybe three, four stocks in the portfolio now that uh, you're excited about, that you're expecting some, some big things from. Yep. Mm -hmm. uh, first stock is a stock called Grow Generation. Uh, it is our top holding in the fund right now. We added it to the portfolio in February. Uh, it was a recent listing um, in uh, last December uh, to the NASDAQ. It used to trade over the counter. Uh, and, and Patrick, you sort of asked about our methodology. Just quickly, we can only own stocks on uh, the Australia, New York, NASDAQ, Toronto, or Toronto Venture Exchange. Okay. So stocks not listed there, we can't own it. It can't be in the fund, right? It just it's right now it's not uh sort of in the sec's vision so at that at this point we're limited so um you know we of course could not buy grow generation when it was trading otc but when it went you know, transitioned over to nasdaq we were able to add it to the portfolio but the way the simplest way i like to think about the stock it's the home depot for for, for marijuana growers right they have yeah. uh you know everything that a grower both uh retail and commercial also important to know um, you know, that, that you would need to kind of get your grow, you know, started. And, uh, it's a, it's a, it's sort of a, a niche, uh, retail business. Um, and you know, it, it sort of shouldn't even trade with, with cannabis multiples. It should trade more of, you know, in the line with a, you know, a specialty retailer, like a yeah. advanced auto parts or an O'Reilly right, or something right. like that. You know, it's just very narrow, uh, you know, from a competitive standpoint. So, and doing um, very well. Yeah, they, they, and they, you know, listen, the, the, the company, obviously stocks had a great run this year, but um, they, they completed an offering a few months ago uh, to raise money for, for future growth. And, uh, you know, they're, they're going to be able to do a lot of roll-ups, I think, over the next couple months. Cool, Matt, sorry, only five more seconds left before Aaron's going to come through the screen and get me. Um, give me two more stocks, man, and, um, and, and we'll let you go. Yep, Village Farms, VFF is the ticker. Uh, they just bought out uh, their joint venture, Pure Sun Farms, uh, mm -hmm. one of the lowest cost cannabis providers up in Canada. And thirdly, uh, a company called Fire and Flower, more of a micro cap hmm. name, has a partnership with uh, the uh, what I would call the 7-Eleven of Canada, which is uh, Coustard. Uh, and uh, so the distribution uh, retail capability of Fire and Flower, I think, you know, is going to be unmatched, uh, you know, amongst the smaller, uh, smaller names, anyway, the small cap names, you know, over the next couple of years. Very cool. Matt Markavich, thank you so much, my friend. The ticker again is? T-H-C-X. There it is. And the hat to prove it. Thank you, sir. We'll catch up with you soon. Thanks, Thanks for coming guys. on. Appreciate it. All right. So listen, and I would I would yeah. normally reserve some time for commentary here to digest some of what Matt just said. Let's jump right in. Let's get it yeah. all, and then and then we'll save this for the end. <laughs> so so next up, as we move them over, Sam Masucci and Jason Wilson from ETF MG. ETF MG being the uh, the runners behind the MJ ETF. Mm -hmm. 
Um, so as we get these guys over, Sam is the CEO and founder. Jason is the cannabis research and banking expert. Fellas, welcome. Uh, thanks for having us. Look at your very cool background, too. If you like that, how's, how's it work yeah. with your hand? It, it works really well. Your hands are not <laughs> totally... I have one pink post-it note on my door <laughs> that my that. daughter left me. So I don't even know what it says. It could be... I don't really? know. Really? Uh, yeah. it, it's something. Probably a picture of know now. <laughs> yeah. So um, here, for, for reference, you know, um, MJ was the first major cannabis ETF out there um and and probably the largest by holdings at least uh in the u.s right has so to be oh, the, by a factor of 10 yeah yeah what's it's the it's over 500 now isn't it yeah it's yeah. about 530 yeah. million in fact we took in uh 550,000 shares today new shares insane man yeah. absolutely insane well thank so, you so much for having us no, God, it's, it's our pleasure. So, so listen, we'll, we'll let you for a minute or two. Tell us about the ETF. Tell us about you guys as fund runners here, and, and we'll dive in with some questions. Absolutely. So um, as it was said before, um, MJ, the Alternative Harvest ETF, was the first of its kind, offered people access to the medical marijuana uh, space. Um, it was very groundbreaking at the time. There was tremendous pent-up demand. And I think the funds, uh, the number of shareholders that we have and its assets, um, it is, as I said, it's about 530 million under management. I think the next closest competitor is about 50 or 60 million. Um, mm -hmm. It has literally over 500,000 investors in it. And it has done exactly what, uh, what it's designed to do, which is give people global exposure to this really important new uh, theme and industry, which is just, and I, I don't have to tell you, it's just changing almost by the minute. And um, while all of us think about the negatives of COVID-19 and the impact on the US, I think some of the positives you're gonna see, particularly in this space, is that every state that has not legalized it is giving it a serious look to say, hey, there's some low hanging fruit of, of tax revenue and boy, do we need the revenue. So. Um, between that and using examples of, of, of uh, states like Colorado, California, and the great early success they've had, uh, my partner, Jason Wilson, uh, is a Canadian. And um, I mean, you only have to look towards Canada and look at the success they've had both um, in building the industry, uh, in supporting of it, handling the regulation properly, and really seeing the benefits of this, of this growing opportunity. So we're we're super excited about it. And, uh, and, uh, you know, we'll continue to support the fund, obviously. <laughs> good, good. Uh, and Jason, anything from you, anything to add to that? Yeah, I, I mean, it, it was just going back to 2016, when we first started, you know, really going over this idea with Sam and taking advantage of the opportunity to come up with an investable product. It's, it's been, it's been quite the uh, road trip to get to where we are. So it's, uh, as Sam mentioned, assets just keep growing and growing. A lot of believers, obviously, the, as you were mentioning before, like the yield. It's a good placeholder away for the whole industry to build out. I, I just had this flashback of, of when I wrote about the launch of MJ in 2017, I believe. Uh, and it was an article for Benzinga and Fox Business picked it up and republished it. And, I, and like that was one of these moments where I was like, cannabis is called mainstream. Fox Business is, is running my articles. Call it whatever. They, it was an article on weed. Yeah, weed and finance. It was 
an article on Weed and Fox Business. I, I was just blown away. <laughs> like just a, a little footnote. Going back. It's, it's amazing. First deal I was involved in 2015 uh, on the banking side, and you know, a company called Tweed, which is now Canopy, and you know, raise hard to raise 28, 30 million dollars at the time, right? <laughs> and uh, you know, we know where we are now. So it, it, yeah. it's, it's quite the journey. A lot more to go. A, a lot of bumps in the road, of course. Do you so, have a unique structure? Sorry, do you want to go ahead? No, 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 go ahead, man. Go ahead. Do you have a unique structure? And well, of course, you're uh, passively managed. You follow an index. And maybe let's go a little bit into why you chose that approach and also why you're not a pure play like uh, other funds in this space are. Why you are also betting, say, on tobacco companies and, and the reason for it. Yeah, I'll talk about, about the industry component and Sam can talk. Uh, to the merits of uh, passing investing and, and what have you, but you know when we look when we looked at the industry in totality, it wasn't really just about the growers. And I know there's this big focus initially is how can how can I how can I buy a licensed producer? How can I get my hands on someone that's going to grow this stuff? And, you know that's definitely a component. And if you look at the portfolio of MJ, it's approximately two thirds of our names. Our companies are directly engaged in the business. They're they're growing the plan and or they're you know they're they're making a canvas uh, related product. And selling it uh, direct to consumers, so that that's the majority of our portfolio. But when you look at the whole space, we thought it would you know we, it doesn't make sense to miss out on all the other opportunities. And you think of like Scott's Miracle Grow is a great example. I mean, initially it was a great name to have because it was big, it was liquid, it was all those other things. But you look what they've done, what they've cobbled together in that Hawthorne division. In the last quarter, uh, revenues up seventy two percent. Over mm -hmm. 300 million of, 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 of net sales, dropping over 40 million to the bottom line just in the last quarter. I mean, it's kind of a nice little uh, bellwether of the US economy and going to show you how much is, is actually, you know, how much cannabis related products being sold uh, across the country. So, you know, we thought it's very important to add those other companies, the pharmaceutical companies from GW Pharma, but also some of the others like Arena, for example, that are working on you know, synthetic uh, cannabinoids that target the endocannabinoid system. You know, grow Generation is another one that's been added to the portfolio. The Charlotte Webs of the world, you know, take it down to Turning Point Brands, which is getting into the space, and even companies like 22nd Century, which, you know, focus on hemp genetics to make sure that, you know, when you actually grow hemp, which is legal now, and it's a regulatory structure that has to really evolve to help that, uh, you know, grow into a, a true industry in the U.S., but you have to make sure you have the right seeds, the right strains, so that when you grow your crop, you know, you're actually growing hemp, not that complies with, with US guidelines. So that's why we took the bigger picture. It's about the whole ecosystem. It's not just focusing on producers or, the, or just the CBG side of it. We wanna, you know, this is going to be a big industry, real estate, service providers, you name it. There's so many different angles to this. We wanted to grab as much as we can. Right. And, and I can speak to the structural side. Uh, obviously, we went, we did go with an index fund. Um, we were the first. We were under a microscope. It was somewhat controversial at the time we did it. In fact, if you recall, back in 2017, when we launched it, we actually launched the fund uh, working with a broker dealer rather than a traditional bank custodian uh, and doing more of a prime brokerage custody arrangement. And it had not been done before in ETFs, and it really was the best solution at a time when even banks weren't sure how they, if they even wanted to be part of the cannabis business. Fast forward to where they are today, and there isn't a quarter that doesn't go by where one of the bank custodians is calling us up and saying, hey, we'd love to talk to you about MJ and your other funds. But it's indexed, 
We built a, uh, we meet quarterly. We have a committee that's comprised of, besides myself and Jason, a number of other people in the space to really make sure that we have a clean product that as it states in its prospectus, does not have any, have any holdings that violate federal law in the US. Um, you'll notice that we stayed away from any derivatives. So these are direct equity exposures. And we did that purposely because we really do wanna have direct equity exposure in those companies that are you're legally allowed to invest in. There are ways to buy a derivative or get an indirect exposure and kind of circumvent that. And it was just not something we were looking for. Um, due to the size of our fund, we have, there's tremendous interest in the securities and we're able to generate about an 8% yield on that through our securities lending um, uh, business. And that's passed on to shareholders. So, and by the way, that 8% is the net yield to shareholders. So it really has not only been a fund that gives you that global exposure, it gives you a great yield. And let's face it, the yield is compensating people for an industry that probably got overheated about 12 months ago, has come down and probably is oversold at this point and is in a position to where it can really benefit from one, the, the, uh, the global acceptance of cannabis and its applications, as well as um, changes in regulations, as I said before. And so MJ is very well positioned for that. So, and, and this is what's interesting to me that, that I'd love to dive into for a second, you guys. When it comes to what we've seen over the past six, 12 months, it's been an insane time, especially across the world, but definitely in the markets with everything going up and down and, uh, and COVID certainly has helped that along, right? Um, one thing that we've seen at Benzinga is the amount of traffic has almost tri tripled, right? And, I, and I, we've seen that across the board with some of our brokerage partners, with, with uh, a lot of these, um, you know, these other financial media platforms just absolutely exploding. You guys mentioned in some of the notes that we exchange that you have over 45,000 users on Robinhood and that yeah. you have doubled your shareholders over the past year. Right. Is that right? Right. Yes, that's correct. How crazy is that? Especially uh, with the valuations and, yeah. and right, the market crashed, it came back up and you doubled your shareholders. I mean, insane. Please go ahead. I, I got to tell you, though, going, going to like, a lot of the investor conferences we go to and one on one meetings with RIAs. The, you know, looking through 2019, two interesting things were happening. Uh, valuations initially incredibly high, right? Uh, unrealistic. Um, and then when the corrections started coming, there was a lot of, a lot of investors and advisors out there that are asking the question, like, when do I get in? When's the right time to get in? And then they started to realize that it wasn't timing the market, but time in the market, especially as the prices got better. And under that metric of, of a retrenchment in, in pricing in 2019, we also saw the global market grow almost 50% to 15 billion global sales. And so I think all that together convinced people that this isn't, I don't know if this is the right time, but man, I can get in now. I can own a, a, this broad-based vehicle that pays a pretty decent dividend and kind of, you know, and, and just keep legging into it. And they kind of see these, these dips as buying opportunities. Um, you know, so that, that's the general feedback we've been getting, and it, it's coming in, in through and yeah. through. So, Sam, I, I want you to weigh in on that, yeah. too. But, Jason, one quick follow-up there. And it's a question I should have asked, Matt, and I want to ask each of you. Why is, why is now an interesting time? Why is now maybe the right time to, to be investing in cannabis, particularly? Well, you got, you're, you're moving, companies are moving from, I'll say, narrative to execution. And you couldn't have a better example than Canopy. 
obviously, you know, there's a, there, there's a partner in, in, in the form of Constellation investing in Canopy that under, clearly understands the US marketplace, right? The CPG space. Mm -hmm. um, and as, as much as a, as, a, as a visionary company, Canopy was, obviously there was overspending, trying to grab as much market share with as many products as possible. At the end of the day, all these companies now are saying, hey, it's harder to raise capital. We've, we've, we've burned a lot of goodwill uh, and, you know, literally and figuratively. And so now it's time to execute, you know, kind of, you know, do your business, yeah. or get off the pot. So this is what we're seeing, a real focus on execution of business plans, second generation products. And there's a lot of catalysts coming out, um, you know, COVID related, regulatory, otherwise, that are going to put a lot of wind behind the backs of the uh, cannabis industry. Yeah, I would just add to that, and and you mentioned the number of Robinhood accounts. I mean, when you and and other, you know, we're we are heavily oriented towards uh, millennial X Z Henry investors, and the reason why is we have some great themes, right? I mean, obviously MJ is a great theme, uh, Gamer is a great theme, Ives. If you just go down the line of the fourteen products that we offer, they're all in the sweet spot of what younger investors are looking for. And the way that they like to do their research is they want to do it online. So to me, the fact that we're not doing these very expensive physical conferences anymore is a blessing. I love the fact that we're going to do a lot more social, a lot more with things like Benzinga and the kinds of things that can be re that can be pushed out, reviewed, and millennials can actually do their own research and then decide whether a fund is appropriate for them or not. So many of them are self-directed, um, but then we also have a great relationship with advisors and RAs, and they like to do the same thing. So it's, I, I think the actual, the, and I've been in this business now since 04, I think it's going much more from B to B to really B to C. And it's the web that's really you know, providing that, that conduit for that. And MJ's the, a great one because everyone's sitting around saying, oh, wow, look at what's going on. You know, New Jersey, New York, Pennsylvania, Connecticut, these are states that are in deep trouble when it comes to they really need some tax revenues. What's the lowest of hanging fruit of opportunity? Certainly looking at cannabis, it's gone well in the other states that have proved it. It's certainly gone well in Canada. And this is something that MJ is well positioned for the benefits of it. You just, you know, read my mind and, and kind of answered two of my following questions into one. I wanted to ask you about the demographics because I assumed people would be younger, you know, especially on Robinhood, and then the fact that your uh, investment strategy is very informed by potential legalization initiatives. Um, so I, I, I want to get into stocks a little bit. Uh, you mentioned Canopy, and last week I spoke with uh, David Klein, you know, the new CEO. He used to be CFO for Constellation Brands, and I was very impressed, I got to say. I got to be honest, this is not an endorsement. I cannot recommend stocks. But I was really impressed because it was exactly the kind of uh, like traditional corporate CEO that I, you know, you know, you're used to seeing in other industries, you know, a guy who, who understands this balance between balance sheet and the importance of product as well, right? It's not only the product, it's not only being cool, it's not only the projections, it's not only the financials, it's all of it, right? Uh, so like, that was my, my take. Why do you like Canopy? And, and, you know, let's talk about to other stocks that you hold, maybe GW or, or why you hold Kronos or Tilray, which are a little bit, you know, not as consensual and like, right? 
You know, you see GW, no, we're, people are like, yeah, of course. Yeah, we're gonna, as Sam mentioned, it's a, it's, it's an index fund, right? So we're gonna hold all the companies that meet minimal market caps and liquidity uh, that fall within our universe, right? So we're, we're gonna have almost all the licensed producers so long as they meet a minimum liquidity and market cap. Not an endorsement on any one over the other. But you do mention Canopy and I, I, like the, there's a level of professionalism there. Look at what they're doing right now with their shop canopy website with Martha Stewart behind their brand and, and other celebrities they got BioSteel coming out they're really it's a true CPG company the money's not in growing the product per se I mean there's quite potentially an opportunity there it's actually going out and, and, and selling that product that's marketing that's branding that's positioning it's getting eyeballs on it's getting shelf space uh, you know Kronos you know with having Altria behind them same thing I mean they know how to get cigarettes in every C store across the U.S. So as they roll out their products, first generation, second generation products, it's those companies that are going to do incredibly well. They know how to they know how to move products. All these Canadian licensed producers have a partnership that gives them access to the U.S. or and or globally. And you look at at uh, Tilray with their partnership with Authentic Brands and how they you know they they have I I think so many kind of curated brands across I believe it's over twelve thousand kind of you know bricks and mortars types of stores. Uh, you know, Afria, Erin Simon at the helm, another guy, CPG. Uh, this, yeah. that's the, it's all about branded products. It's all, it's, it, it's about quality of products, but it's also about the branding of the products. And you know, that's what you're going to see a lot more of uh, uh, in these companies moving forward. I'm intrigued by one little thing that you said, and it's so, if you said like, we're determined, like our whole things are determined by the index and certain criteria but what about balancing right the fact that you own seven percent of canopy versus say four percent of Afria, doesn't it say something about you being more bullish or seeing more upside potential in canopy than on Afria? no it's just it's market cap and liquidity that can at the end of the day you know and, and sam maybe you can speak more huh. of this, but yeah you know 550 million dollar fund eight percent we have to be able to yeah. trade in and out of around you know 44 million dollars that stock so the larger companies will get the, the, the and more liquid companies will get a relatively larger position. First off, most importantly, are you in the cannabis business directly or not? Yes, boom, you go to the biggest bucket. And then we weight them within that higher weighting scheme. Then. And it's rebalanced once a quarter. So clearly throughout the quarter, there can be one stock rallies over the other. And it's typically, typically brought back in line when that reconstitution happens um, uh, at the end of the quarter. But, and, and it's another thing that's important is we built a fund that has high liquidity. It was very important to us that you can get in and out of the smallest position uh, because yeah. at the end of the day, the liquidity of the total ETF is as liquid as its weakest link. And so we made sure that we really did build an ETF and work with an index provider in prime where we have a very liquid product that can grow large, which and we've uh -huh. seen in, uh, in, in MJ. Well, it's easier for the APs to give it some, you know, help at scale too. And, and if you think of like, you know, a lot of the US MSOs you see out there, I mean, and it seemed very interesting in certain ways, but the biggest ones, you know, four or $5 billion market caps only trade three to $5 million a day versus Canopy that might trade 70 or 80 million. So th that's where a lot of that comes from. Very cool. Thank you both very much for joining us. Um, we stay tuned. Uh, I don't know if you have to jump if not, maybe stay on. Maybe we'll bring you back before this thing's over today. But uh, thank you both for being here. Uh, Sam Masucci, Jason Wilson from MJ. That is the ticker MJ ETF. Thanks so much, you guys. All right. Thank, thank you. you.
Thank you. All right. So, uh, again, no commentary. We're going to go right into yeah. Dan Aaron's. We've got to get Dan Aaron's yeah. up here from Advisor Shares. Here, here's what's fun. We had the passively managed quarterly rebalance DTF just now. Before that, we had the hybrid, the one-month rebalancing passive ETF, the actively, what was it that he called it? Actively styled. Actively right? styled. Passively actively styled. styled. <laughs> yes. And now we have the, you know, the-, the Let's bring the, him over. Aaron, the, let's bring Dan over. This is, we have to jump into this. This is going to be so fun. Active management. Come on, Dan. Dan Aaron's, you guys, COO and the guy behind the magic at Advisor Shares, who runs the YOLO and the newly minted MSOS, MSOs. Mm -hmm. yes. So yeah, as we get Dan over, um, we're, I think we may hear the other side of the coin here. This should be fun. Ooh, with the Mavs? Mavs in the background too? Is that what's going on? Yeah, right. a couple years ago, so had to Love frame that, it on the wall. Hey guys, thanks for putting this together. Um, it's a good show, and thanks for having me on. Our pleasure, man. Our pleasure. We're we're thrilled to have you. I think this this should be really fun. I I, I think let's start with a little color on advisor shares and you as a manager, and and maybe both ETFs. But I definitely want to launch into this MSOs ETF too. Mm -hmm. Great. So advisor shares, we've been doing this for 10 years. Uh, we have about 16 ETFs, uh, all actively managed. We're big believers in active management, having a portfolio manager, looking at a area, making decisions and deciding what to own, not to own, overweight, underweight. Um, we believe in a human portfolio manager adding alpha to a portfolio. We just happen to have a couple of funds in the cannabis space. Our YOLO fund launched in uh, April of 19. And, you know, besides being actively managed, that's, that's easy to toss around. I think indexing, if you also combine it with low fees, uh, like an S&P 500 or a QQQ or a large cap growth fund makes really good sense sometimes. Mm -hmm. In an area like cannabis, um, we see fees that are pretty much across the board, whether it's uh, index or actively managed. I think active management is infinitely important. You do not want to own all the stocks in a area just based on market cap or liquidity or something like that, because some of the largest ones are, have been some of the worst performers. They've been wildly un unprofitable in many cases. And I'll jump to it. The proof is in the pudding. Um, what investors are looking for is performance. They're looking for alpha. They're not looking for the largest ETF. They're not looking for the most liquid ETF or one that what schedule rebalances on. Here we They're go. looking for performance. I love it. I love and, it. And well, year to date, YOLO, it just turned negative yesterday. So year to date, it is down through yesterday, 0.4%. And some other ETFs we're talking about here are down, let me see it, 23% so far this year, 30% so far this year. So we're talking about 30% performance difference just in this calendar year. And we're playing in the same sandbox here. We're taking the same type of risks. 
we're outperforming for two reasons, because we're picking the right stocks. We're underweighting some of the biggest famous names, especially those in Canada, like Tilray and Aurora and even Canopy. Uh, Canopy has a solid balance sheet. They're not going anywhere, but they're still light years from profitability. And the other thing besides picking the right stocks is we got U.S. exposure. You know, we're not just a Canadian cannabis and tobacco ETF. You know, we're, we believe in not owning Scott's miracle Grow and the tobacco companies and the alcohol companies and all that other stuff. You know, it's great if a tobacco company acquires a cannabis company, but that doesn't make the, can- the tobacco company go up in value. <laughs> well, and Dan, why, why is that important to you? Because I, I find that fascinating. And I think it's well, cool, right? But why is the pure play important to you? It's important for this reason. I expect investors to have a diversified portfolio. You know, they should have money in large cap growth and the S&P 500 and all those things. And if they ha- own those things, they already own Altria and Philip Morris and Scott's Miracle Grow. Scott's Miracle Grow is not a cannabis company. You know, the, the, you know, the, the Hawthorne piece is growing. That's nice. But it's very far from a cannabis company. And once again, Constellation Brands made an investment into cannabis company. Constellation brand stock didn't go up. The cannabis company stock went up. Altria made an investment into a cannabis company. Altria stock didn't go up. The cannabis company stock went up. We want to own pure cannabis because that's what people expect when they buy a cannabis ETF. And if anything, we want to own the acquirees, not the acquirers. Mm-hmm. I mean, the only one I would discuss is SMG because I recommended it on record in 2014 as a cannabis play. And it's one of those that is up a lot, same as GW. And I can share the article, I can share the recommendations, but it's one of these things that I just, you know, it's, well, you, it's you did well like, with that, Javier. Obviously, it's a good stock. I'll take you. I'll take you know Altria, whatever. Altria is not cannabis. Fine. Constellation is not cannabis. Fine. <laughs> I'm just you know what? We 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 also have a fund. Its ticker symbol is ACT, which stands for Alcohol, Cannabis, and Tobacco. Exactly. And it owns which, Altria and, and Constellation Brands and Scott's Miracle Grow. And the darn thing has gone up 5% so far this year. And it's gone up 11% in the past year. So if you, just want about the, to ask you. That's cool. if, if you want the combination play between those things, we have that and it's outperforming. But we're here to talk about cannabis. And again, the difference between the actively managed fund, picking the right stocks, getting exposure on the U.S. side of the border it's not comparing apples and oranges with a, a marijuana index. It's comparing apples and a Lamborghini. It's, it's different, it's night and day, 30%, 20% so far this year. That's what investors want. But we can talk about you know, the makeup of the fund and how we get there, of course. <laughs> well, so Dan, one, one interesting question, I think, from, from just a general investor's point of view here, um, I feel like a lot of people pick ETFs and we can get into the psychology behind it, maybe because they feel it's a safer bet, right? Or, or at least it's a kind of a set it and forget it bet, right? Now we, yeah, well, well, and yeah, that's just my own conjecture. But when it comes to, when it comes to how you view the balancing of the fund, right? And how you take an active approach versus a passive approach, 
you're, you're basically trying to keep the funds stable and provide alpha for these investors, right? So, so when it comes down to it, is, I mean, do you view this active approach as offering more stability? I won't use safety again, stability <laughs> Good for work. the investor. Uh, yes, and, and here's why. Again, I think in something like cannabis that everybody's agreed is wildly volatile, changing very quickly. I think active management is very, very important. I think a set rebalancing schedule, whether it's monthly or quarterly, has added to the volatility in some of these stocks. We've seen a couple periods that were, excuse me, a shit show of trading um, when a couple big uh, positions were being rebalanced. We don't do that. In the actively managed portfolio, I can choose on any given time to hold a bigger cash position. Right now in YOLO, we're all performing, but we've had close to 10% cash in that thing over the past month. I do that on purpose because I want a little bit of a cushion and I want to have cash for opportunities. I can trim positions that are getting too large. Like we saw some massive growth in, um, in grow generation. I trimmed it. I trimmed it near the top. I did pretty good on that one. Um, when I see an opportunity of a stock that sells off, sometimes in an overreaction, sometimes um, due to outside forces, I might buy low in that stock. Again, it's a low turnover portfolio. We're not talking active management does not have to be overly active management. Mm, okay. But a human portfolio manager having a pulse on the portfolio, trading it efficiently to add alpha is very, very important. Yeah. With an index, I mean, no one's managing it. Well, so, what, so the difference, if it's balanced monthly, if it's balanced quarterly, and then you, you're balancing it actively, what's the difference? How, how many times in a given month are you in there? Um, I, it varies depending on what's going on with earnings, what's going on with sure, market geez. conditions, what's going on with everything. There's no, there's no set answer to that. You know, it's in our annual report or semi-annual report that people can see that we're pretty low turnover. But you know what I'm going to come back to? The proof is in the pudding. Mm -hmm. Look at the performance. We're playing again within the same sandbox with the same risk parameters. We're just picking the right stocks and trading them correctly. And the performance is 20, 25, 29% better so far this year. That's what investors really want, don't they? They want alpha in their portfolio. But again, a lot of our stocks are the same except when you come to not owning a whole bunch of big tobacco and not being constrained to just owning the rather small Canadian market. The U.S. represents at least 10 times the size of the cannabis market in the U.S. versus Canada. And I found something else amusing. We, 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 we had people talking about Pennsylvania is probably going to add recreational cannabis use in uh, November. Good chance New Jersey is too. Good chance Arizona is too. But you know what? People talk about those. And then in the social media, in the mainstream media, then they, they tag Canadian names like Canopy and Aurora and Tilray and even the, the biggest uh, ETF in the space. 
none of those companies can invest or, or do mar actual marijuana business. They can't do any marijuana business in the U.S., in the U.S. states. It's, we want to educate people about the difference between investing and growing U.S. cannabis. A lot of people think a lot of reforms coming and investing in what's actually confined to Canada. So Dan, I only have a couple minutes left with you and I want to get into this and I'm going to imagine um, that MSO ZTF that you just launched. And I got to tell you, I had people calling me that, you know, cannabis executives who are represented in that ETF who were thrilled at the percentage that they were given and, and how they were weighted in that ETF. Uh -huh. So, so I think it's really cool. A that you, you're, you know, all of you guys, but you know, especially in this instance, you were driving excitement and, and passion in this industry from these executives. But certainly I wonder if that education that you feel is important about these different markets and then especially the American cannabis market, um, if you feel like it's going to be seriously affected by legalization. Absolutely. Now, something I have to talk about regularly is I don't think we're going to see a true federal legalization anytime soon. Look at the Democratic Party platform. The Democrat Party platform talks about national medical marijuana. It talks about banking reform. It talks about some combination of the Moore Act and the States Act. Do you know what those things do? They fix some problems at the federal level, but they leave legalization at the recreation level up to the states. Right. What that does is it keeps the Canadian LPs, Canadian LPs, in my opinion. It strengthens the case of the U.S. multi-state operators for MSOs. So again, I'm here mostly to talk about YOLO. We think it's a great fund that has a good global mandate that's outperforming the others, but we're real proud of this new fund launch MSOs. We think it was filling a need that we were getting from a lot of investors, a lot of investors. And you talk to those uh, executives, people have a hard time buying that stock of Cureleaf and Green Thumb and Trulia and things like this. Well, I'm not a plant touching MSO. I'm an investment company and we got all the approvals. We had the, uh, the lawyers at the New York Stock Exchange push a rule filing for us. We had the, uh, you know, the, one of the biggest custody banks in the world, Bank of New York Mellon as our custody bank. We did a lot of discussion and brainstorming with them on how to get this thing done. And we got all the approvals to be a NYSE listed ETF that's concentrating only on the US market and it has a heavy weighting in those multi-state operators. That's where the real growth opportunity in cannabis is. Okay, so this is the most fun I've had all week. I've really enjoyed this. So I'm gonna do something we don't normally do. Aaron, let's bring, let's bring our friends back. Ooh. Let's bring Jason Wilson and Sam Masucci from ETFMG back and Matt Markevich from THCX back over. Um, and if we can do this, uh, yeah, if we can do this, Aaron, what I would like to do is give each of you around 30 seconds. That's all the time we have, 30 seconds just to give us uh, some, some, some feedback moving forward, right? We want to talk about where the market's headed, where you think the opportunities are, um, and, and, and let's try to get this done. Aaron, can we bring them back over? All right, we've got Jason. Sam is coming. 
do we have Matt as well, or did we lose Matt? We might have lost Matt. Uh, okay, so I think I told him he wouldn't be back. Oh, you did? That's on me. Yeah. <laughs> Don't worry. Um, we'll 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 get it done for these fellas here, guys. Um, biggest opportunity in the market um, moving forward. Uh, why don't we start with you, Jason? Yeah, you know, I, I, it's hard to deny that the U.S. is the biggest opportunity in the market right now at this moment, but it's not just the U.S. opportunity. I mean, we've seen legalization in the CBD, in the hemp-derived CBD space, obviously, but we're now seeing fight, fighting between USDA, the FDA, the DEA, conflicting guidelines, you name it. So for the U.S. market to really, really uh, crystallize and reach its full potential, the politics are going to have to get there. It's going to be their right. But what any form of, of U.S. Legal, federal legalization would do is open up to be a massive catalyst. We're already going to see this, I think, this year at the U.N., all those international trade treaties that will truly allow this to become a global market. As big as the U.S. is, I mean, those second-gen products in the medical marijuana space, you know, recreational, you name it, Mexico is coming on line this year. There's a world of opportunities out there. So, you know, U.S., not just for the own domestic opportunity, but man, we start changing those international trade treaties and this truly becomes a global market. That's what I'm excited to see. Okay, let's move to Dan. I can't disagree. Um, I wanna remind everybody that cannabis is still in its infancy. This is all really, really new, whether you're in the US or in Canada. I think there's some excellent uh, opportunities in Canada but something that's really happened in the past year is stocks trading not on hype or, or future potential only. And that's why they went up two years ago, went down last year, a focus on balance sheets and profitability. And once again, this is all just in its infancy. When we see more reform in the U.S., we're going to see you know, these are consumer packaged goods. People are not going to think of it as marijuana anymore. It's a consumer packaged good. We're going to see branding. We're going to see expansion. I think the most important thing, though, is the opportunities in the U.S. Because we're going to, we have a market where there's whole states that have nothing but a black market right now. And whether they're adding medical marijuana in the near future or, or recreational marijuana, that is a huge upside potential, but it's a huge upside potential for the U.S. operators, not the Canadians. Got it. Sam? Uh, look, MGA is a global play. It clearly, as Dan said before, it, it is a, uh, a medical marijuana-focused fund, and we like being in that space. But we, there's going to be a lot of regulatory clarification, whether it's federal clarification on how the states can act in, in the space, or whether there is some federal legalization uh, and MJ is well positioned for it. And being an index fund, it has the broadest group of ETF investors and we're excited about being a half a billion dollar fund well positioned to take advantage of those changes. Very cool. And I'll speak for Matt and say that uh, I think the biggest opportunity is that when legalization happens, both Nigerians will have CBD, THC and be dancing at tables on tables at our next event. So that is my prediction on the Benzinga side. What a kick-ass panel you guys have been today. Thank you so much for coming. Uh, we look forward to uh, those of you who are participating in October. And if you're not yet, maybe you should be. 
And, you know, this is going to be fun, you guys. We're going to see where this goes, and, and we'll look to you. We'll have you back, I'm sure, to discuss. Um, we'll, we'll look to you to see where this goes. Great. Well, thank you so much for your time. Thanks. Our pleasure. Thanks, Javier. Good job. Thank you. Thank you both, uh, or all of you, I should say. Javier, how did, how did we get so lucky? How, how did we do this? I mean, these are people in the financial space and cannabis, right? That's, that's what we do. Um, yeah. Honestly, it took about five minutes of emails to put this together. <laughs> you know, it's, it's one of these things. Uh, you build a brand, you build a name, and, and, and people want to come to you. I think that's, that's what we've done at Benzinga. Uh, that's you know, true. Part of a, an amazing team. Uh, and I hope we can do this again and, and get Tim Seymour as well. He manages a fourth USATF CNBS. Um, we have and, to steal him away from his time at CNBC. So, so I, I'll tell you why this is exciting to me. I think that there are a lot of novice investors out there. There are yeah. a lot of people that rely on their advisors to invest for them. Mm -hmm. And these are vehicles that can help them. Not only, well, let, let's go a step further, not only help them, access uh, an emerging market that they're not, they don't have access to yet, mm -hmm. but educate them, right? Yeah. And I love what each of these guys said here today about how they're attacking that problem. Is it, is it specific to a demographic or generation? Is it specific to how they're going out and talking to these RIAs? You know, is it specific to which geographical regions they're covering? Yeah. Canada versus America. Boy, we heard a lot about that today, didn't we? Well, some, here's an interesting thing that I just remembered. Um, Natan, who also works uh, with us at Benzinga. And Shout out, Natan. Sitting, Hello, Natan. Um, and I wrote this, this article for a Latin American newspaper and for Benzinga on, on how, how like to invest in each one of the four US-listed cannabis stocks. I think you can see it there. Can you see my screen? I can. I do suggest you check it out. Cannabis ETFs, safe harbor for investors of all types. Is it? Is it not? We spoke with each one of these managers, including Tim. So make sure Very cool. out if you have any doubts, especially, as you said, if you're a novice investor. I do recommend, often recommend people who ask me, how do I start investing in cannabis stocks? And they go like, just go for an ETF, man. It's, it's too hard to keep track of stocks and trade them unless you really know what you're doing. It's a volatile space. Every one of the people said it today. It's a tough you know, space to be in to date, right? People thought it would be a joyride. People thought growing weed would be the best thing ever. It, it would be fun. Guess what? It's a headache. It's tough. It's, it's, it, the regulations are conflicting, right? It's hard to navigate. So you well, need and, an advisory. And that layer of public markets is often more than a lot of people can bear when it comes to, to, to obviously running a business, right? So I, I agree with these guys. I think execution is what we're gonna be seeing a lot of, uh, especially over the next three months, let alone 12 months. You know, So I'm excited to see where this goes. I think we're gonna be talking about it heavily October 15th at our next conference. Um, oh, yeah. We'll all be there. Javier will be there. Natan, we're gonna make sure he's there. It's all virtual, so go to bzcannabis.com. Uh, to look at the latest updates there and who else has joined our roster of speakers. Um, let's all make sure to like and subscribe this page. Javier, can you point them in the right direction? Wait, I'm up. I got to learn how you do that. It's, I don't know. So now it's, Aaron tried to teach me. Aaron, God bless here. you. There it is. Did I get there it right? It 
I don't know. Maybe. Maybe you did. Guys, thank you so, so much for joining us. This has got to be my favorite show yet. This has been a lot of fun. Thematic is the way we're going from now on, so stay tuned. Um, Happy to have your suggestions. Shows on social justice coming. We have a show on service providers. We have a show on beverages, which will be very interesting. Um, Good stuff. Tech, you know, and, and the best guests. Indeed. Indeed, Javier Hasi. Well, thank you, my friend. I appreciate you being here. Uh, Guys, stay tuned. We'll be back next week, next Thursday from 4 to 5. We'll see you then. Yeah, I was a heavy drinker, but I didn't recognize what the people closest to me recognized. I ended up laying flatlined on a hospital operating table. Somehow the surgeons brought me back to life. When your life depends on it, there's only one place you can turn. Karen. A recent independent study showed that 94% of Karen patients were still in recovery 90 days post-treatment. Visit CARON.org slash real. Karen. Real results. Real care. Real about recovery. Introducing Under Armour's Infinity High Sports Bra. Its ergonomic design is molded to support the natural movement of your body. With cord-out padding, the better breathability eliminates extra bulk without sacrificing support. And quick-dry padding is Under Armour's fastest-drying padding yet. When you're lifting heavy, running fast, and pushing yourself further than ever before, you need a bra that will help you go that extra mile and make you feel your best. Shop the Infinity High Sports Bra now at UA.com.